Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode, we are on part two of my interview with Dr. Jason Silvernail. So we crowdsourced some questions from social media, and we got a ton of them, so many, in fact, that we couldn't fit them all into one episode. So here we are, episode two, Ask Jason Anything. And in this episode, we talk about a lot of different things, a little less pain science manual therapy stuff, a little more practical stuff. So for instance, we talk about the roadmap to a military physical therapy career, and that's within the military or even within the VA system, which I'm so happy we talked about because when I was at National Student Conclave a couple of weeks ago, I had a student, Simone, who was actually interested in working for the VA. So hopefully this will help get some clarity. Uh, We talk about Jason's hiring process for seasoned professionals and new grads, and I really think it's going to surprise you, and how to translate the present body of knowledge into clinical practice and his overall outlook for the profession and advice for fresh PTs. This is not to be missed. It is good, good stuff, everyone. So thank you so much for the thousands of people who downloaded last week's episode. Um, And this week just continues on in a really great uh, interview with Dr. Jason Silvernail. So thank you so, so much. And again, I want to just say thank you to everyone who attended the Women in PT Summit, either virtually or in person, and for all of the really wonderful feedback we've been getting from people. It's just been great. We're already planning for next year. We're thinking September 23rd or September 30th of next year. So mark your calendars. I'll have a better idea when we find a cool spot in New York City to have it. So stay tuned. And before we get to Jason Silvernail, I just want to have an offer for everyone. So if you want to save 30% off Mizuno uh, running apparel, go to Mizuno.com and enter the code FITFLUENTIAL30. That's FITFLUENTIAL30. And you get 30% off all full price running apparel. Now, this is only until Tuesday, November 22nd. So it's only today and tomorrow. So if you're downloading this episode today, go get 30% off running gear. It's also going to be in the show notes. Okay. All that being said, let's get to part two of my interview with Dr. Jason Silvernail. Hey, Jason, welcome back. Even though everybody knows we're doing this on the same day, but we have to make it seem like it's two separate days. So Welcome back to the podcast for part two of your Ask Jason Anything. And before we go on, I will allow you to say your disclaimer again, since this is a new day. Well, thank you. Since it's a new day and we didn't just just now do part one, this is a totally different deal. I will say that everything I say are my personal opinion and comments and not the official policy or position of the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, and the United States government. And having said that on this part two, which is a totally different thing, not to be confused with part one. Um, what are we going to talk about next? Okay, so we're going to continue. So last time we kind of ended with Will Butler's insightful question on what are your feelings around candy corn. That was part one. Part two of his question was, um, what is an effective strategy to determine if military physical therapy life is is something worth pursuing? and how to go about it besides just directly messaging you. This way we can get it out to the masses. So again, an effective strategy to determine if military PT life is for you. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I'm really glad Will wants to not have everybody in the world send me the same message about the same topic at the same time. That is not, uh, as my mentor would say, a recipe for success. Um, so luckily, I have a thread up at Soma Simple on this very topic, and we can put the link in the show notes. And it is uh, U.S. Military Physical Therapy Recruiting is the name of the topic. And that is where people can go to start talking about and thinking about whether or not military medicine is for them. So I will say big picture, um, you know, the, the, the line of work I made, you, you almost have, you almost have two different careers. Like you have the medicine, you have medicine and then you have the military. Now, whether you're, whether you're a nurse or, you know, a physician or, or whatever, or a lab officer, I mean, you, you do, you definitely have two separate kind of professions that you're working with at the same time. This really isn't a job that you pick. It's a job that picks you. But for uh, people who are interested in, in thinking about and talking about that, please go to that thread. Most of the people who work in the military's physical therapy uh, work as, as a PT officer, they are they come through the Army Baylor uh, physical therapy DPT program. So it is, it is much easier to get in to be a PT in the military if you have completed your undergrad degree and you are looking for a PT school. Those are the people who can apply to, to and get accepted at Baylor. And it is much harder if you are already in PT school, whether you've graduated or not, because you then have to wait for our periodic uh, uh, board, uh, direct commission boards that the services run to bring people in. So we've got a we've got a series of slots to fill, and we've got only so many people to fill those slots. And some years are dry, and we got to run a lot of boards and take a lot of people. And some years uh, are fine, and we don't do any boards at all. And a healthcare recruiter, not a standard military recruiter, but a healthcare recruiter is the person who can help you the most in determining when those next boards are, what you need to do to make an application for a commission as an officer in the military and to come in uh, as a physical therapist. And it really, uh, it really depends on a lot of, of some of those other things. So start with the healthcare recruiter. Uh, consider joining the reserve component. Uh, you know, once you complete your initial training, the reserves is you know, uh, one week in a month and two weeks uh, during the year where you do training and you're already enrolled in the military and, you know, you, you become kind of a known quantity. So it's easier to move to active duty from the reserve component uh, in most cases than to, you know, to come out of the middle of nowhere, so to speak, uh, to, to come into the military that way. But those are those are the best options. Consider joining the reserve component. Find a healthcare recruiter and work with the healthcare recruiter to develop a packet for a direct direct commission board. And if you're interested in military PT and you are getting your undergrad degree or have graduated your undergrad degree, please do put a packet in for the U.S. Army Baylor's DPT program. I know it's very selective. Most people go a couple times before they can get in, and this is normal. Uh, so those are the those are our, uh, the best options for people as they think about that as a career. And what about people who, because I was just at National Student Conclave this past weekend, and ran into a really fantastic student PT who is interested in getting involved in the VA system. So if someone wants to go that route, how, what is the best way to do that? Well, the, the simple best way to look for a civilian position in the federal government in medicine is to go to this website called usajobs.gov. That's U-S-A-J-O-B-S dot G-O-V. And at usajobs.gov, 
you can enter your resume. You can upload it into the system. I think you can even set up alerts for when there's a uh, when there's a job that comes open. The occupational series for physical therapy in the federal government is 0633. So people need to go there, find the occupational series 0633, and do a targeted search for that job series in their location or anywhere else, and they're going to be able to find those jobs. You can even, I think you can even set up alerts so that when a new job comes up, you automatically get an email or something like that. And so I think that's one of the things that people can do. But go to usajobs.gov and upload your resume there, get a profile there, um, go to your local you know, VA or, or Department of Defense DOD facility and ask to, um, ask to observe, ask to volunteer, drop your resume off, um, that kind of thing. I mean, I, will, I, I do a lot of hiring, both contract people who come on for short periods of time and government service employees who come into the system and, and stay in the long term. And people who are local, who are interested, people who forward resumes, people who, you know, are, are proactive in seeking out those opportunities. You know, I mean, those folks are, are, are more likely to, to be in the right place at the right time to, to take advantage of those announcements. And let's say someone, you have a, a new grad or a recent grad, you know, maybe out a couple of years or one that's, let's say, graduating maybe in December or next spring. What are you looking for in a new hire? So what sort of things should they have on their resumes? How can they stand out and how can they catch your attention as someone who does a lot of hiring? Yeah, great, great question. So when I'm looking for someone who's experienced, I'm looking for someone who, um, if they've been out for a while, uh, I'm looking for somebody who's, who's further their education with their DPT. Uh, that tells me a lot of useful things as to whether somebody is engaged in their profession and, and their level of dedication to lifelong learning and all those things. It's not 100% reliable, but it is high percentage. It's something I look for. The second thing in experienced people is I look for board certification. And people who are board certified through, uh, uh, through the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties, they're going to go straight to the top of the list regardless of what other education and training that they have because I, that is a very important discriminator for me in, in choosing to hire people uh, based on the literature we have on their knowledge base and based on my long experience in the profession. For new graduates, I, I mean, I don't, I don't hire people for the skills they have now. I hire them for the personality they have and for their ability to work with others, to be flexible, to be good teammates, people who have a dedication to learning, who want to be mentored, all of these things that, that don't often come across so well in a resume but come across great in an interview, those are the people that, that I'm interested in hiring. So I'll give you an example. Um, I just recently hired a, um, a contract physical therapist about a year ago, and you know she was a, you know, a busy mom, left practice for a while to raise her kids. Her kids got to be school age. They moved on to school. She's like, you know what? I want to go back to uh, clinical practice. And so the contract company connected me with her. She came in for an interview and she had been, you know, working, you know, here and there, you know, PRN or locum tenens, as they might say in the UK, uh, you know, here and there in an inpatient facility. And we have an inpatient facility, the place that I work. And, you know, she just wasn't the best fit for the specific job that we wanted to hire her for. But her, her overall interview just conveyed this is a thoughtful person 
This is a mentally flexible person. This is a person who's dedicated to lifelong learning, who wants to serve people in our, in our patient population. This is just a person you want on your team. So I'm well advised to hire this person first and then find a place for them second. And that's exactly what we did. We hired her. She's been a great hire. She's an outstanding employee. And, you know, I couldn't be more pleased. A lot of that it has to do with those sorts of, you know, personality or process-based soft skills that come across in an interview. Uh, but for experienced people, absolutely looking for a DPT, absolutely looking for a board certification. Okay. Thank you. So that's that's great. So everyone out there has a better idea of maybe what they can shoot for if they're looking for a job in military PT or in uh, a Veterans Affairs Hospital clinic in your area. Okay. Yep. Or a DOD facility a too. DOD facility. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So any fed, any federal job, I mean, I can't speak for everybody who hires. I can only speak for me. But in looking, in, when I look at resumes, those are the things that I look for that, bu that bubble people up to the top. Great. Okay. Now, uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We've got some uh, other, some other really great questions. So uh, next is from Stephen Rice, and he asks, What's the newest or least known therapy or model that looks promising? Oh, man, that's a good question. It's a good question. Yeah, I, I, sh I should have expected as much from Steve Rice. He's the thoughtful guy. Uh, he's the trainer out in California, I think. He's a really, really, really smart guy. So, so here's how I'm going to answer this question. So um, I think that, you know, when I got accepted to school and I went for my PhD, like I was really excited to create new knowledge. I was really excited to like blaze some trail, you know, establish some new piece of knowledge, contribute to the scientific world and that kind of stuff. I was really excited to do that. And the more time I spent in practice, the more time I realized that uh, I really don't think that's where the important work needs to be done. I think the important work needs to be done in translating what we already know to meet clinical practice and to meet clinical practice where it's at and help improve patient care uh, at the point in which that care is delivered based on best evidence. So there's some evidence out there that suggests on average it takes somewhere between you know around 17 years for a new innovation to be commonplace in, in medical care. Um, what, what, a, what a terrible uh, commentary on the speed with which we adapt and move new things. I don't think, for me, what's promising isn't the next big thing. For me, what's promising is what can we do to start paying attention to the knowledge and evidence we already have to improve patient care? We're still fusing spines. We're, we're still prescribing opioids. We, we are, you know, we're still providing all these epidural steroids. Now, a few years back, you know, a lot of people got some fungal infections in their spine from compounded uh, steroid injections from compounding pharmacies. I don't know if you remember the story or not. And everybody was like, oh, well, who are these compounding pharmacies and how did they create these, these medications and we, what is the oversight and all that stuff? That was actually not what I was interested in. What struck me as most interesting is with all the evidence we have on the limitations of efficacy of steroid injections for spine pain, why are we still doing it? Why are we still doing it? Right, right. Yeah, there's – Occasionally for your average – just for a patient, it's, it's the last ditch before surgery. No, no, not that. I mean, almost as a first line for folks. So I was at the VPTA, Virginia Physical Therapy Association Student Conclave, and uh, Ben Fung was there. And I don't know if you've ever heard Ben speak. He's a really engaging guy, super smart, entrepreneur, the whole deal. 
And he talked about how PTs only have about 8% of the musculoskeletal market share. So just think about that for a minute. So like of all the evidence that you might have out there for efficacy of the interventions that we've got and relative to other people, PT is doing pretty darn good when it comes to evidence of efficacy and effectiveness. We only have 8% of that market. The other 92%, a lot of them, they're getting pharmaceuticals and procedures almost exclusively. And I think that the next big thing is for us to actually start using the evidence we already have, is what can we do to build processes in our health systems to help us better integrate existing research evidence in clinical practice to make it relevant to clinicians, to make it relevant to payers, and to make it popular and effective uh, for patients so patients start asking for it. That, to me, that's, that's the big thing that we need to, to get to in PT. Not so much what the next big treatment thing is, but what can we do to integrate and better use what we already know? Because I would say we already know a lot of what we need to do for a lot of folks with different problems that we can help them with. We just need to find a better way to, to use the, the information, the data we already have. And any suggestions on a better way to do that? I mean, this, this is something that comes up so, I mean, how many times on social media does this conversation yeah. go round and round, right? I can't, I, innumerable times, in my opinion, um, and from what I've seen. So, you know, what, what works? What doesn't work? You know, what I find is that I educate the patients that I have and past patients so that when something comes up with them again, or a family member, or a friend, or what have you, if it's something musculoskeletal, they will more often than not call me first, and then I will go and see them. And like you said, I will differentially diagnose, and, and sometimes I will say I think this needs to be seen by a doctor, because it's something that I don't think physical therapy can help with at the moment. You know, I had a patient... You mean come, a physician? A physician. You mean, you mean a physician? Yeah. Okay. Because so, I ask because you're, you're a doctor too. There's, yeah, there's a lot physician. Of doctors. Uh, so certainly it could be seen by somebody in primary care. It could be a doctor of nursing practice. Right. It could be a PA. It could be somebody with a broad base of ed education who works in primary care who's an appropriate practitioner to provide a broad-based differential diagnosis of symptoms that may or may not be musculoskeletal in origin. There's right. nothing uniquely physician about that necessarily. Right. So yeah, I, that's true. That's, that's a pretty true. important point to, to bring up uh, while we're on the topic. But yeah, I completely agree. Number one is I think we need to go to the patients. We need to stop waiting for the payers. We need to stop waiting for the state legislatures who respond to lobbying money. And we just know that that's how it works. We need to go to the patients to get patients to ask for it. We need to do what we can to, um, to lobby for uh, appropriate practice privileges that are appropriate for our education. I mean, PTs in Wisconsin are now able to order some radiographs. I mean, PTs in the military system that I'm in. You've been doing been, it for a while. Yeah, we've been able to order radiographs as well yeah, as advanced yeah. imaging, electrodiagnostic tests prescribed from a limited range of medications, which, by the way, I hardly ever prescribe from. Mm -hmm. uh, write referrals to other healthcare providers, do a whole bunch of other things. We actually have a set of privileges that is appropriate for our training. Mm -hmm. Not more, not less. And that's something that, that we need to get happening in PT uh, in the U.S. and we are actually starting to see that happen, and that's a great thing. Yeah, which is great. Great thing for us professionally. It's a great thing for our patients who can have access to low-cost, low-risk, non-invasive care that works. Yeah. And I think a big piece of this puzzle is we need to to do what 
Consumer Reports does, is they rated the top 10 things in medicine that are not a good deal for you, and one of them was spinal fusion, and the top 10 things that are underrated in medicine, and one of them was physical therapy. I mean, these are folks who don't have any dog in the fight of medicine, who don't have a, you know, don't have an ax to grind, don't have a scope of practice to protect, uh, and they are looking at the data, and that's the kind of stuff that they're saying. I mean, we're at 8%. Ben said we're at 8%. I mean, I, I want to see us get to at least 50, and I think we can get there. Things are, Everything in the healthcare system is moving our way. Yeah, I, I agree. And, boy, it would be nice to have those privileges to refer for diagnostic testing and things like that because that's one of the – so if I see a patient – like I saw a patient a couple of weeks ago. She's a former patient, and she's like, I think I know why my hip was bothering me. So I went, and she had like her – foot was like super swollen and the underside of the foot was swollen. And I was like, um, I, this is not what you had when I saw you a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm not sure that this is the thing that's driving your hip pain, yeah. but now I have to send her to the appropriate healthcare, uh, practitioner because now she really does need to get this x-rayed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. especially listening to her. She was like, oh, I was at a wedding stomping around in high heels for two days, three days. I never wear them. I, so, right. you know, it would have been a lot nicer. So then she had to wait a couple of days and then make an appointment and then wait a couple of days and get a, you know, yep. an x-ray. And, and it, yeah, like you said, it would be so much better for the patient and so much more economical for the patient if we had the same privileges as the military does or apparently Wisconsin. Yeah, um, at least a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, at least a little that's bit. That's the way things are going. People are used to, to that. I mean, that's the great thing about the way our society is going. People pick up their phone. They've got an app. They can get what they want. They mm-hmm. have choice. They have options. They're the ones in the driver's seat. They're not waiting on everybody else. I mean, in, in a large, you know, one way to look at it is the traditional healthcare system, the way things are all set up. You know, you got to go through your insurance company and get approval and go to your primary care and get a referral. That's waving down a taxi. PTs, we're Uber. Just pick that app up and hit the button. Mm-hmm. You'll get faster, better service than you got elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But it has to start with, I mean, how many PTs are in the United States? I think there's almost 300,000. There's like 200 yep. and I, I looked up the figure a couple of weeks ago. But yep. between 250 and 300,000 PTs. So every PT educated, every patient that walked through their door that, listen, we can be that musculoskeletal uh, person for you. You know, because to some degree, there's direct access in every state. I know Texas doesn't have, it's just an EVA. I know, I know. Um, But at least it's, people are now thinking, hey, if I do this again, or if I have a musculoskeletal issue again, I can just go straight to the PT. Yeah. You know, and when I tell people that, and I tell every patient that, at first, they're completely shocked and surprised. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I get a call and they'll say, hey, you know, I sprained my ankle. Could you just come take a look? Make sure it's nothing serious. So that's how it works. And then they tell their friends and they tell their family and everybody's surprised. But then, you know, they end up making the call to see you first before they go to see the doctor. Yep. And that's, well, yep. They are seeing the doctor first. They're seeing Dr. Litzy first. I think that a big part of this evolution was that evolution, doctoral education. We've done that in a much more, um, in, in a very careful and responsible way mm-hmm. relative to our colleagues in other medical professions. We have, um, we have a solid track record of high quality 
education, clinical practice, and research that backs up what we do uh, and that, that merits that, that title. I would say that, you know, we talk a lot about musculoskeletal medicine. That's certainly the big thing with PT, but, but pelvic floor is out there. Neurological rehab is out there. Geriatric medicine's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, neurological rehab. If you get dizzy, you know, if you have some of those other symptoms, if you've got, you know, pelvic, if you've got a concussion, there's a lot of reasons why a PT is a reasonable first stop. And oh, by the way, we're trained in the collaborative medical model. We train in hospitals right next to physicians and nurses and everybody else. So we understand that healthcare is a team sport and there are things that we can take care of and there are things that you need to see a colleague for. And our education in PT is very good at focusing on things that people are better suited with somebody else for. So we, we are good referrers to orthopedic surgery or to uh, primary care or to, you know, any, or even the emergency department as the case may be. And our, our journals are full of great examples of responsible PTs picking up on things that are not something that we can handle and getting them to the right person because we are trained in hospitals in a collaborative healthcare environment. We are not an alternative medicine practitioner that did 100% of our clinical training in a strip mall. We actually know what sick patients are like and how to treat them and how to collaborate with other members of the healthcare profession. That's the reputation we've definitely earned in PT. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, I think it's so important for new graduates to realize that you're not treating in a silo. You know, and that you're under a huge umbrella, and that's a good thing. Yeah, we're not independent; we're interdependent. Yeah, we're interdependent on other members of the healthcare team, just like the family practitioner, the doctor, nursing practice, the physician assistant who acts as the primary care provider. You know, their, uh, you know, whoever is managing their chronic condition might be a geriatrician, might be an internal medicine physician, might be a rheumatologist. We play well with others. We're good teammates in medicine. We refer back and forth. We're collaborative. Uh, we have an acute awareness of the limitations of what we can and cannot do. And the only way you get that is by coming up through the tradition, quote unquote, traditional medical model and training side by side. Mm-hmm. And you you won't find a PT who doesn't love their physician colleagues, who doesn't love their nursing colleagues, because we train next to them, right right side by side to them in hospitals. We saw what they've done. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that all PTs should have be respectful and be collaborative um, because that's the best thing for your client or your patient or whatever you want to, you know, for the person that is entrusting their health and their vulnerabilities with you. So absolutely. Okay. Next question from Matvi Immerman. I hope I said that right. Matve, Matve, Matve. I just, let's just call him Matt. Hi, Matt. Matt. Okay, Matt Immerman. So, this is a juicy question. Oh, boy. Look out. When do you think schools will stop teaching ultrasound? (laughs) And actually, after that, he wrote, ha ha. So, good response. And what is your overall outlook for the profession? Oh, great question. So, um, you know, you know, I found a, a um, sort of something that maybe it's a little bit timeless. I don't know. But a lot of people, whatever profession they're in, they'll sometimes complain about the profession they're in and say, oh, you know, everybody in my line of work, they're all like blank. And in, in, in the blank space, they put like some sort of timeless human fallibility that's true of all humans, right? And so, it, you know, everybody is, is a little bit uh, critical of their own profession. I think that's a good thing. 
Um, the physical therapy licensure exam is outdated. So is the physician licensure exam. So is the nursing registration exam. So are all of those things. They're, they're behind the evidence. They've always been behind the evidence, but they are evolving and they'll take time. And we'll stop uh, teaching people how to use therapeutic ultrasound when the payers stop paying for it and when it stops being a standard of practice uh, you know, in our profession. Uh, not, not standard of practice in terms of what you should do, but standard of practice in terms of what you should be aware of to be a competent and safe practitioner, which is what the licensure exam covers. So that's the, that's the ultrasound. It's going to go away sooner or later. It's just going to take some time. Uh, in terms of what our outlook is, my gosh, I, I don't know how you look at the greater evidence in healthcare and not be anything but super positive about the outlook of PT and the outlook of what we can do for patients. Um, you know, just I just brought up a few minutes ago that Ben Fung was talking about how PTs only have eight percent of the musculoskeletal market share. Musculoskeletal being like the you know the most common reason people might see a PT. We we need a lot more PTs. We need a lot more PT programs. Um, the evidence is coming our way every year. There's a new study about some elective procedure. It might be arthroscopy. It might be injection that isn't any better than placebo. And these are procedures that have a greater risk. They're more invasive and they're more expensive than what we do as PTs. And they're no better or in some cases they're a little bit worse, especially on the risk profile side. So I think that there's no read of the way things are going that doesn't look anything but positive for what we can bring to patients and for what patients are looking for. Patients are looking for a low-cost, low-risk, non-invasive approach that they can have quick access to that is appropriate and matched to their goals, that is matched to exactly what they want. Think about picking up that phone and pulling up your Uber app or pulling up your food delivery app. You can get what you want when you want it. And there aren't too many people in medicine that are offering something close to that, but PT is one of them. And I think that there isn't an outlook for our profession that isn't anything but positive. I don't know what the employment rate for PT is. I think it's way, way over 90%. It's a little bit like nursing. Where are the unemployed nurses? Where are the unemployed PTs? We've got an excellent employment rate. Uh, I know student loan debt stinks. I know that's a big problem. Uh, but, you know, a PT degree in licensure is a ticket to, uh, you know, to a middle-class life and to lots of great things that our country has to offer and a lot of good things that we can offer for patients uh, in the long term. And those things are only going to get better over time. Even the time that, uh, that Karen and I have spent in, in practice, we've seen things move in such a hugely positive direction that it's important for people new to the profession or people about ready to join the profession need to realize that our best days are ahead of us. Things are only going to get better for us in the future. And by us, I mean our ability to have access to our patients and be able to provide people low-cost, low-risk, non-invasive care that works. Yeah, and, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that answer, and this will be the last question, of, and this is my question to you, is you just spoke about, you know, when you and I both started in the late 90s, um, now, obviously, it's 2016. So the 2016 physical therapist that you are, what would you say to the new grad that you were back in the late 90s? What would be your best advice for that version of Jason Silvernail? Uh, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, I guess first and most importantly, um, definitely ask Carolyn out a second time. She'll, uh. she'll 
Yes, the second time. Um, did you have uh, to ask her out twice? I, I did actually, I, and so you know, yeah, give her a hard time when you see her. No, I'm kidding. Um, so first of all, definitely do that, right? Um, yeah, she's she's awesome. Uh, best decision I ever made. Second best decision, probably uh, going into medicine in the military. I would say that one of the things I say the most to PT students is, um, this job is half psychology, and I used to think that my job was the evaluation, diagnosis, and treatment of non-surgical musculoskeletal conditions. That's actually not my job. I'm in the business of behavior change. And if you're a PT, you're in the business of behavior change too. And the sooner you understand that, and the sooner you start to work on your ability to help engage others for behavior change, the more success you'll have in your profession. Spend time on that piece. Excellent, excellent advice, and I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Well, you know, I want to thank you for hanging out for two podcasts on the same day. I mean, for coming on twice. I mean, anyway, you get the idea. So thank you so much. And uh, just a quick plug for Jason. He will be at the San Diego Pain Summit, which is Next February, it is the second weekend in February, so it's the weekend right before CSM. So you can actually do both if you wanted to. You can go to the San Diego Pain Summit, and then you can shoot over to, to CSM um, in San Antonio. I don't think it's that long of a flight. I was actually thinking, maybe I'll drive, and then people were like, are you crazy? I have, no, I have absolutely zero concept of you know, the Southwest. I thought it would be like driving from you know, New York to Pennsylvania. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, apparently, it's really big out there, and I yeah. was just had no no idea, um, completely clueless. So that's my bad. But you will be at the San Diego Pain Summit. You will be part of a panel on effectively communicating with patients. Yep. Um, you want to come see me? Come see me there. Yeah. I will be at uh, San Diego Pain Summit 2017 in February. Uh, not at uh, Combined Sections this year, unfortunately. Yeah. So if you want to come and see Jason speak, and you can. Ask him, pick his brain, uh, by all means, head on over to sandiegopainsummit.com and you can sign up. Uh, and, and if you can't make it to San Diego, there's also a video option. So something for everyone to think about. So Jason, thank you so much. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's your Twitter handle? How can they do it? Email. Yeah, you can find me on, uh, you can find me on Soma Simple. Uh, that's somasimple.com. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jason Silvernail. And you can also, me, also find me on my public Facebook page, which is uh, uh, same first and last name. So come on out, connect. I've got a tremendous network of really smart people who provide me all sorts of great material all the time to think about and, uh, and help me get better in the clinic. So come on and join the conversation. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for uh, tuning in for part two of our conversation. Uh, everybody have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.